Long. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to continue our this slight break in Luke and look today at a psalm, uh, Psalm 55. So I invite you to turn there. Um, while you turn there, I will remind you if you did not know, baseball is back. So I'm I'm excited. A bunch of billionaires were able to decide their how they were going to split up all of their money, but. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm just excited to have it back. Uh, Psalm 55. Let's read God's word together. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death still over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days but I will trust in you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, by the power of your spirit, make these words live to us. Uh, Father, as we look at our lives, uh, the reality is, is that we all have many battles to face, uh, many anxieties. Sometimes they're very personal, as this one is to David. Sometimes they're just general, the, the, the worries of the world. Uh, and yet the truth that we read here never changes. You are near the righteous. You will redeem us. And you we can trust. And so, Father, we do that now. Uh, we trust in you, uh, asking that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit and that we would be transformed by your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I'm sure uh, that all of us are familiar to some degree or another with the phenomenon that scientists and psychologists describe as our natural kind of fight or flight response. Uh, you know, the idea, of course, is that faced with a difficult or threatening situation, our natural instinct will be either to stand and fight if we think that victory is possible or to turn tail and run the other way if victory seems like it is far off. Uh, I think a great example of this, we can all remember back to our days on the playground. Some of us may have been on any side of this example that I was about to say. So you just take whatever side that you were on and remember. Uh, but, you know, there was always that, that playground bully, and you had to decide at some point whether you were going to stand and fight or whether you were going to run and hide in the little tunnel in the slide and just pray that he never found you, right? You had to make that decision. And even as adults, we still have to, to make those types of decisions, right? No longer, hopefully, are people threatening us or beating us up. Now, obviously, in other places of the world, that's true. Uh, but hopefully, we're not experiencing that now. But, but still, we have to decide when troubles come, and they come, uh, what's our response going to be? Will we fight or will we run? And so we, we know the, the truth that, that those two responses are certainly on the spectrum of what we might do. But I think all of us have lived long enough to understand uh, that there are other options on the table, right? And experts have actually, in recent years, added a few categories. It's no longer just fight or flight, uh, but there's also the category of freeze, Sometimes when we face trouble, we just freeze up, right? We're like a deer in the headlights. We don't know what to do. We just stop. We, we don't go either way. Uh, other times, they, they call it flag. We just begin to kind of internally shut down. We, we don't know what to do. And then my personal favorite is faint. <laughs> I think several years ago, there were videos going around of these goats that would faint when they were facing trouble. That's all I could think of when I was reading that was these goats just passing out. Anyway, uh, apparently us as humans have that same response. If we get uh, scared enough, we might just completely pass out. Uh, and so there, there, again, there's other options and we know the truth of them. But still, uh, I think we can ask, uh, is there another way? Is there another response that we might have to the troubles that, face, that we face in this life? And that's especially true for us as Christians. Uh, what is the proper response for us as we face the things of this world, as, over, as our circumstances become overwhelming? Well, what I want to submit to you today is that here in, the, in this passage, in the Bible as a whole, but especially here in the Psalms, here with David, uh, he does show us that other way. As God's people, we don't have to run. As God's people, we don't have to fight. And as God's people, we certainly don't have to faint. Now, we can go out into the world. We can live by faith because he who has promised to fight for us is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. And so with that in mind, let's look at this psalm together and let's consider fight Flight or faith. First in this passage, I want you to notice troubling circumstances. And this is just really for context. I want you to notice what's happening here in this psalm to David. As he so often does, he begins here by, by voicing his troubles. And look at what he says there in verse 1. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea of mercy. He's crying out for mercy to God. In verse 2, he's restless. He moans in his distress. 
Verse 4, his heart is in anguish within within him. Tears of death have fallen upon him. And then in verse 5, he says, fear and trembling are with him. Horrors overwhelm him. And so obviously, you know, David is a poet at heart. These are poetic words, but, but they're strong words. And we can be sure that the situation he faces is very painful. It's heart-wrenching. And naturally, I think, at least for me, and I'm sure it is for you, our, our response is to wonder what circumstances led David to, to feel this way. Now, now before, we, before we do that, let's just pause just for a second to consider that, that what we have before us here in the Psalms is something wonderful, isn't it? You know, God did not have to give us these uh, testimonies of his people, uh, these moments where they are crying out in anguish as we so often do. Uh, But he gives us these over and over and over again. And what a reminder it is to us that first, as we face these things, we are not unique. Uh, God's people from the beginning have faced troubles. They have faced anguish. But even more than that, isn't it wonderful to know that these troubles, they don't disqualify us. This is a man after God's own heart, the king, the king of Israel, the best king that Israel would have until Jesus came on the scene. And he is a man who over and over again fell before his God, cried out in anguish. And so certainly, what does that mean for you and I? Uh, No offense, but none of us are David. And so that means certainly we will find ourselves in those same places. And, and so it's a great comfort to us to be able to read these things. But what is it specifically that's happening here to David? Uh, commentators, they have pointed to several different events in David's life that are a possibility. Uh, you know, we think about Absalom's betrayal. You remember his son, he, he wants to overthrow the king. He wants to take the throne for himself, so he turns all the people against David, so that might happen, and David ends up on the run. And certainly that's a possibility. Uh, you think about all the time that, that David spent on the run from Saul, and that could have been something. He was, he was very close to Saul at one point in his life, uh, so that could be an option here as well. Uh, there, there are a myriad of different options, right? That David did not have a lack of trouble in his life. So any of those stories could very well have been the one where he wrote this particular psalm. And so it's hard to know the, the particular characters. But I want you to notice here, we, we do have all the details that we need, don't we? Look at, at verses 9 through 11. David is facing an enemy, and this is sort of unique it's not an enemy that, that is from outside the city. It's not the, the Philistines that are invading. It's not a, a foreign army that are coming in. Uh, but this is trouble that, that is centered within the city itself. Verse 9, he says there's violence and strife that these people are causing it there. He said it's, they're spreading iniquity and trouble among God's people. In verse 11, there's oppression and fraud in the marketplace. And so already we can see that that this problem David is facing is one that that is deeply close to him, right? It is in some ways very personal. These are his people. This is his kingdom that God has anointed him to rule over. And these people are there within the city itself, the city of David, trying to stir up trouble, trying to cause problems for him. And so the, the, the situation is bad. Uh, But we notice that it gets actually much worse, doesn't it? 
Secondly, there, it's not just the fact that it's from within that's causing David such distress, but notice this is also a matter of personal betrayal, right? This is the result of someone that is a friend, someone that is close to David. Verse 12 says, this is not an enemy who taunts me. If it was, I could take that. He says, I could handle that. But no, verse 13, this is a friend. This is someone in verse 14 who he took sweet counsel with together. This is someone who he worshipped with together in God's house. I want you to think about the, the hurt the pain, the the anger that David must be feeling in those moments. You know, to some degree or another, I think we can all relate to this. We've all experienced something like what David is experiencing here. Too often it seems that that even the people we love most, they, they let us down, that they hurt us, they turn their backs, or we do the same to them, right? And the point is, is that few things sting or hurt quite like that personal betrayal. Those are the events, the events that, that truly uh, are heartbreaking. They are the events that really seem to stick with us over the course of our lives, over the long haul. And so we understand to some degree or another, though we don't know the particular instance of David's life that's happening here, though we can't name the characters themselves, uh, we can see why David feels the way he does. Uh, this is heartbreaking. This is hurtful to him. And so he finds himself in overwhelming circumstances. Secondly, I want you to notice, we've seen the context. Uh, Notice that that there's a unique aspect to this psalm, and it's David's sort of surprising response to it all. You think back over David's life throughout the psalms, throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, and he has faced a whole slew of troubles. We've already recounted some of those, but just think back. Think back to vacation Bible school. Think back to David and Goliath. Think of how he faced the, the Philistine giant, right? Faced him with confidence. He was ready to, to fight. Think about how he faced Saul over and over and over again. He didn't turn tail and run. Most of the time, he stood and he fought, or he did what the Lord had called him to do. The, the point that I'm making is normally in David's life, his response is to stand, is to fight, is to hold his ground. But here, notice... David is so overwhelmed with the things that are happening to him, and this is where we, we connect ourselves back to our introduction. Uh, what's, he, what's he want to do? He wants to flee. He wants to run. Verses 6 through 8. He says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging winds and from the tempest. In other words, David, this is his flight response. (laughs) We said it was fight or flight or freeze or faint, whatever, all those things. This is David's flight response. Again, this is is so relatable to us, isn't it? We've already said that, that we have all felt this desire to run away whether it is from our jobs or our financial situations or our relationships or some decision that we made that we now regret. We've all been at that point where we would just like to to get in a car and drive until we hit the ocean or until we fall off the face of the earth. This is not a flat earth theory here. I realize the world is round, but you know what I mean. It just, right, right off. We've all been there, right? 
We all know what that's like. And we know that it's part of, of living in this fallen world. Jesus affirms it for us in John 16 and in John 17. And so we know the truth of what David is experiencing. And so the question becomes, if fighting is not an option, and rarely is it because we don't have the strength or the means to fight our way out of these circumstances, if fleeing will not will do us no good, and rarely does it do us any good, right? Because we can't get away from our problems no matter where we go. Even if we could drive off the face of the earth, our problems would find us there, right? They always seem to, to chase us down. So what's, what is our option? You know, I guess we could try feigning, <laughs> but that doesn't seem like that would do us any good either. No, we, we need another option. And notice, that's what David gives us here. Finally, we get to the heart of our message today. He wants to flee. He wants to run away. But instead, thirdly and finally, David chooses. And notice, it's a choice he makes. He very well could have chose to go the other way. Certainly, God is working in his heart. The Holy Spirit is leading him this way. But David chooses to walk by faith. He chooses to trust in the Lord, and he does it in three ways. First, David chooses to walk by faith by calling on his God with confidence. Let me say that to you again. He's calling on his God with confidence. Verse 16, he says, I'll call to God. And notice the response, the second half of that line. The Lord will save me. Verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan. But what's the response? He hears my voice. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in, the safe, in safety from the battle that I wage. Even though many are arrayed against me. And then in verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of, from of old because they do not change and they do not fear God. The point is... He's praying to God. He's calling out to him. And he's doing it expectantly. He's doing it with confidence, knowing that God will act. David knows. He's experienced God's faithfulness in the past. God has called and anointed him. He's removed every obstacle from his kingship. He's delivered him, with, whether it was with David and Goliath, whether it was with the Philistines, whatever it was, he's delivered him over and over and over again. And so now, here, he can step out in faith. And he does it by calling to his God, this one who has been faithful time and time again. Friends, I wonder, and I'll be honest, I've wondered this of myself often this week. How often do we approach our lives? How often do we approach our God in this way? Too often, far from being an anchor for our souls, uh, faith is more like that, that small fishing weight. And I don't mean one of those catfish weights that are really big that you could kill somebody with. I mean those little weights that you just clamp on your line, right? That you have to have the pliers or your teeth if you do it like we used to do it, just bite it. Those that when you drop it in, in rushing water, it's, it's going back and forth, to and fro, wherever the current takes it. Troubles take us wherever they can. You know, but two weeks ago, we confessed that, that God is omniscient, that he's omnipresent, that, that he's omnipotent. 
Not only that, we also confess that, that He is good. That He does all things well. The good stuff and the bad stuff. He's doing it all well. He's working it all out for good. So let me ask you, even as I ask myself, do we believe that? We say it with our mouths, we confess it, but do our prayer lives, do our actions reflect the reality of what God has said to us, the reality of who He is, the reality that He is, then that should be our reality. We should trust in Him. We should know that, yes, He will do what He has said. Now, that doesn't mean that He'll always remove our troubles from us in this life. It doesn't mean He'll always take the pain of that personal betrayal away. Not in this life, but even still, we are confident, we are expectant. And David shows us why. Secondly, he can have faith because he knows that God will sustain him even when things are at their worst. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in safety. We read this from the battle that I'll wage. Verse 20, his friend has broken the covenant. He has drawn his sword against him. But there in 22b. He will never permit the righteous, that is God, will never permit the righteous to be moved. In other words, no matter what we face, in Christ we have our daily bread. We have our sustenance. We have one who is sufficient to see us through whatever burdens life may throw at us. He bears our burdens, verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He gives us His mercy. He gives us His grace for each new day. It makes us think back to to Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what does he say about that man? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now we know that that is speaking of our Savior, but, but for those of us who are resting in that Christ, it's true for us as well. Jesus says as much when, when he describes that man who built his house on the rock, right? The, the troubles come, the storms come, and what happens to the house? It stands. Why? Because God is with him. Because the rock is Christ. And he will not allow it to be moved. One more psalm. We think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does he do? He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even the, the greatest troubles. We will fear no evil. For he is with me. Uh, at Presbytery. Uh, I was sitting next to Kent Morlock, and he is actually preaching through Psalm 23, and he had kind of translated it himself out of the, the Hebrew. And that last little line, uh, surely mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? Uh, instead of uh, follow me, he had translated it will pursue me. I like that. I like that. That's, that's right. That's the, the heart of what David is saying there. Because what is God? He is our shepherd. And what, is a God, what does a shepherd do? He pursues the sheep. Even when they wander away, even if they go out somewhere else, he pursues them and brings them back. And David can walk in faith. 
because he knows he has a shepherd. Even as he was a shepherd for all those many years, he knows he has the good shepherd who will sustain him. And then thirdly and finally here, we know he knows he can walk by faith because he knows that God will not allow the wicked to stand. Verse 23, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. As David uh, looks at these people, even his friends who have turned their back on him, his response is to look to God and say, uh, the, the wicked will not stand again. Uh, Psalm 1, after he says that about the righteous, he said, the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now look, there's certainly a way that this is true in this life. So often the, the mighty fall, those who seem to have so much, that we, we see that it doesn't mean very much to them in the end, right? It can't sustain them. It can't bring them the happiness that they want. They're miserable. And so there's a, a truth to this even in this life. But ultimately we know that this will be true in that last day. Uh, when Jesus returns, we've, we've talked about this, it seems like every Sunday for the past month and a half. That, that constantly we are being pointed to the reality of eternity. To that time where, where at Jesus' name every knee will bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every person will confess that he is indeed Lord. What David knows here, the reason he can walk by faith is he knows that God will be victorious. That he will conquer his enemies. That they will not prevail over God's people. As hard and as troubling as this life may be, we, like David, we trust in him because we know in Christ God is redeeming all things, even our troubles, and he has won and is bringing complete victory, right? Complete victory. John 16, yes, in this world you have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The book of Revelation, that's the point of the book of Revelation, right? It's not to figure out times and signs and all that stuff. The point is, at the end, who stands? Not Satan, not the wicked, not the, not the people who, who try to rule over us. Christ stands, and he stands with his people. Jerusalem is there, it descends, and he is the king. Every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is indeed Lord. And so we walk by faith. Because we know the victorious king. Now, as we go back to where we started, how as Christians do we react to life circumstances? Well, it seems that, that we can add another response, right? We don't have to flee. We don't have to fight. We don't have to faint or freeze. We can walk simply by faith, looking expectantly to the one who has given himself for us to sustain us, the one who has given himself so that he might overcome our enemies, and the one that who has given himself to get us safely home. Friends, I don't know uh, what you're facing today. Some of, for some of you I do, but for all of you I do not. But whatever it may be, will you look to Jesus? Can I encourage you to do that? Will you cast your cares upon him because he will sustain you? 
And in so doing, find also that he cares for you far better than anyone here will care for you. That he cares for you far better than even you care for yourself. You look to this Savior. I'll end with, with Paul's words at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says again, thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we bring before you today the burdens of this life, as we unload our hearts before you, Lord, in many ways we are overwhelmed. In many ways we would like to turn tail and run. In many ways there are so many options before us. And yet, Father, the, the reality is, is if we are resting in Christ, you have called us to live by faith. And doing that means that, that we have a sure hope, a sure anchor for our souls that will not be moved, that will not fail, uh, that will last even through the, the hardest storms, even through the worst storms. You will be faithful. And so, Father, we cling to that promise now. We ask that you might sustain us. We ask that you might lead us faithfully in the way that we should go. As, as this world threatens to undo us, Father, remind us who we are. Victorious people of God, because Christ is victorious, because he is the king. And so, Lord, send us out. Send us out with faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.